Hey everyone, welcome back to Archives and Futures, a podcast for future generations. I am your host, Ivan Lozano, and today we have an interview with Jose Santiago Perez. I want to mention a couple of housekeeping things. There will be no more podcasts for the end of the year. I will come back in 2020 with a couple of um, additional ones until the end of the season, but um, I will be on vacation, so don't expect anything from me. In the meantime, follow us on IG, SoundCloud, Facebook, and Patreon at Archives and Futures, one word all spelled out. Subscribe and share. Give us a five-star rating. Archives Plus Futures on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and of course, always on SoundCloud. Help us get new listeners. And here is our interview with Jose Santiago Perez. Hello, Ivan. Well, first of all, thank you for um, having me. My name is uh, Jose Santiago Perez, and um, I'm an artist based here in Chicago, originally from uh, Los Angeles. Nice. Yeah. And originally, I saw also that your family originally was from El Salvador, right? Yes, yes. We're all Salvadoreños. Nice. Yeah. Um, are you sad? There was this really fucking great place. It was where uh, Cinco Rabanitos is in Pilsen now. It used to be a pupuseria before. Sabes? I don't know. I can't. I can't do it. You know why? Because this is what happens. And it happened in L.A. a lot. Is yeah. that you start to go to a place like their curtidos really good. You're like, OK, I'm super attached to this. Pupus- and then it goes like yeah. and I can't. Yeah. So I'm sort of I'm. um keeping myself from getting attached to a it's like a yeah it's like a kick puppy like after a little bit you're like i'm gonna be a little careful about this it was really good but oh it's gone it was gone yeah but it was also like i also kind of discovered it like right as i discovered that like i developed like a lactate like lactose intolerance (laughs) so before i figured out how to do that don't worry i got pills but before i figured that out i was like i can't eat these because these are just like just grilled cheese. It's grilled yeah, it's cheese. so fucking good. Yeah. I know. It's so good. And like if it leaks a little bit, you get that mm-hmm. sort of Oh, the crunchy the one? Oh, oh, for sure. That's the best part. I know. It's so good. <laughs> I could talk about that forever. About pupusas forever? Curtido forever. Oh, yes. nice. Yes, 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 yes. So let's talk. Maybe let's start there. Let, let's yeah. start like with um, your experience in Los Angeles. I, I'm interested especially like being myself Mexican, but... Mm-hmm you know, not from the East Coast or not from the West Coast, like how that was and how that felt um, being not from the sort of like, quote unquote, kind of dominant Hispanic yeah. experience. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you uh, when Melissa Landro was here, we talked a lot about her being Costa Rican mm-hmm. and being in Miami, how that yeah. was like, we were the only family here. So what was yeah, that like? I was, you know, I had some of that, um, but I was really lucky in, in the sense that um where my parents sort of landed was mm-hmm. in um, the neighborhood of Westlake, which okay. is just sort of west of downtown. I think a lot of people know the marker of MacArthur's Park. So yeah, grew up about um, three blocks from there. And at the time, so this is the 70s, um, there was a pretty established enclave of Central American immigrants yeah. there. So yeah. there was, a, you know, there's Mexican folks everywhere, which is great <laughs> because then you don't have to worry about going somewhere and somebody not speaking Spanish. You know, Good so, point. You, so yeah. there's like, there's all of that. And then, you know, there's, there's so there's a lot of Spanish language sort of business commerce life. So all of that worked out really well, but you know, there was, there were Guatemalans and there were Salvadorians too. And that was really, that was good because I didn't quite feel, we didn't feel like foreigners yeah. um, in sort of a, a Los Angeles landscape. Right. Um, so that was great. Like there is a, there was a panaderia, there was a Guatemalan um, panaderia nice. called um, El Quetzal. And it was there from like the seventies, eighties and nineties. And they were really great because they did a little bit of everything. They nice. did polios for Mexicans. And then they did like, you know, quesadilla. they did all, they did a little bit of everything for right. everyone so that, you know, everyone can kind of find their pan dulce that they needed. So I didn't have a lot of that sort of um, 
estrangement. It was very, there were pockets and, and, and ways to find, to find folks. I think going through the education system, that's where, that's where it's sort of, (laughs) Uh right. That's kind of where, um, the lack of sort of sensitivity for differentiation sort of of happens. But in terms of everyday life, um, I didn't really have that experience too much. And I saw that, um, your educational experience, I saw that you started at UC Santa Cruz. I did, yeah. And then um, San Francisco State. I did do that, yeah. And then moved it over here. I'm interested yeah. how that all kind of happened. Um, yes. And just sort of the experience of that, because I think that it's uh, it's easy to forget that there, there's, there's such complicated sometimes stories of how you get to like an education, mm-hmm. uh, especially being like an immigrant oh, yeah. uh, or it's, uh, children of immigrants. Yeah. And that process isn't like obvious. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, not easy. obvious and it's not always linear. For no, everyone. not at um, all. And so for me, I was definitely what you would call a non-traditional student. Mm-hmm. I um, had a really hard time sort of just navigating public school in general. Yeah. Um, I was on the five year sort of high school plan. Um, so I was doing community college to make up credits and going to public high school sort of all at the same time. Um, I didn't go straight into a four-year university. I, I did sort of the community college route, which I love. Yeah, that's such I, a great thing to do. Like people, like don't don't people you don't, don't have to like follow pe- any rule. No, you don't. And I really um, sometimes I I feel like that was really pivotal. Yeah. Um, because my sort of two years of college was among older students, among students with children. Yeah. Um, I had some professors that would bring their kids to class. Um, they were folks from all over the world. Um, it was a different, people were there because they wanted to be there. Yeah. Um, they were, pe- there were people there that were, you know, engineers or, um, architects from their home countries and they needed to sort of like get their, um, accreditations and so yeah. you know, do that they have to have increase like english competency so there was there was a whole sort of mix of people in that sort of community college thing that I, it really it was an amazing experience i really loved that so then was that from there that i became a transfer student and went up to uc santa cruz nice and what did you do in um yeah, I did. Um, I majored in um, what did I end up with? No, this yeah. is UC Santa okay. Cruz. Um, I ended up in um, the literature department. Nice. Um, and so I, gosh, what did I do? I did a lot of like film study, Latin American literature, um, some art history. Kind of put all that together in this like hippie hippie college that's the- really fascinating <laughs> because like then that leads very clearly at least for me like i identify sf state so much with filmmaking oh and yeah with Minha, and then yes. somebody who was like an incredibly important person in my life which yes. was colleen smith she was sort of like she made it possible basically for me to get through my 20s in huh. general and she was a student of Trin team in high at san francisco state so like i associate like experimental yeah. filmmaking yeah anthropological filmmaking yes. ethnographic filmmaking with san francisco state 100 yeah. percent. well and that's funny that's kind of why i went so nice. when i when i decided i was going to go to grad school i went through the cinema department there nice. um and that was incredible and amazing um but i realized pretty early on that i couldn't be contained in anything like i just i you know, it just was not a structure yeah. that I could yeah. work within. Um, so I ended up working a lot with like film, um, the art department and the theater department. Nice. Um, but that sort of language of cinema, that sort of history of the documentary of, of Trinity Minha, mm-hmm. of like third world cinema, all of that sort of thing was very much um, at play. I think. Nice. A lot of, and, but then also sort of mixing it up too. Like yeah. that's where I was able to sort of um, really delve into psychoanalysis and horror. Yeah. And, 
you know, for for better or for worse, however we feel about sort of like psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis, like we maybe you know it's like a dirty secret kind of like astrology or something yeah. like it's there it's there um, and i love it i don't i don't i love care. it too and i think <laughs> well i also think I it's such a huge it. part of film studies that's totally you know is. like it's that's, an that's, entrenchment yeah it's yeah. absolutely essential in the yeah. way that like film studies are like conceived this idea yeah. of like um yeah of like psychology and, and 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 of those sort of like structures of like how information works in the brain or whatever no totally yeah and so that was sort of that was sort of my kind of what I was doing at SF State. And it was a good time too. And again, sort of being a non-traditional yeah. student too. I was working full-time at the time and kind of commuting back and forth. And, you know, that's kind of how I've sort of always made my way through yeah. through school. Um, which again, is kind of a nice place because it's sort of, um, it was never 100% of my life. It was yeah. just sort of like part of what I was doing. Um, now, why didn't film stick? I don't. I don't know. Because he like my personal story, because I went to film school and like my yeah. whole experience with film school for me, it was very much something about like financial access. I just couldn't afford to make anything other than like small, independent, experimental films. And then I just it's like, yeah, when you don't have like the means to don't do it, it's means. also really difficult to kind of collaborate with people, especially in a situation where like the means to get to that collaboration for some yeah. people are established. So yeah. like I worked like, yeah. At least in, in grad school, I was working like 35 hours plus, like through the whole That's thing incredible. too. Like yeah. in undergrad, I was like doing all these things. So yeah, it was like, it was difficult. It was, film is a really difficult place to be in. It's really hard. And I think I, I noticed a lot of that struggle. And I think, I think part of that was sort of being okay with the limitations of my means yeah. and deciding what I ended up deciding was, okay, well, I, if I'm never going to be able to make films, so I'm going to study them and I'm going to write about them and I'm going to mm. make a story. And like, I'm going to do, th- I'm going to go that route. Yeah. Um, and I think that's when I came to find out that, you know, I, I was, I, although I love historic, you know, like historical research, I love kind of thinking through reading, studying, and also, but I'm, I'm not an academic. Yeah. And, you know, I had to have some really complicated conversations with advisors, but they were like, basically like dude you're 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 not going to be happy writing yeah all the time yeah time it's just not going to happen right Um, and there's so much about privilege in that too like especially like in film writing you know like i worked with film festivals i was very involved in that world and like yeah you can like if you're smart enough you can get your foot in the door but if you can't travel to like Oh, All yeah. the film festivals, like you're you screwed. Still, you're, yeah, because you, you, even if you're writing for like a magazine or whatever, like they'll pay you maybe like a small fee, but that's not going to cover your hotel or like your flight or like your meals. Yeah, that's sort of the thing about critics. like senses of cinema is awesome, but it does not pay the bills. <laughs> it doesn't. None of it does. None no. of the sort of critical jobs. I hate that you know, but like I, I know a, a, a theater critic, and yeah, like I don't know how I don't know how she made that happen. Yeah. and you know, it's not my business to ask, but I'm sort of like hmm. Yeah, like where do those resources come? You know, that's sort of like the mystique of everything, right? But like resources is always sort of mystique. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't going to happen. So I figure, well, how, what container can I find that will sort of make room for all these different interests that I have that I can sort of, you know, curiosities and passions and interests. Like where can where can those sort of like fit somewhere and yeah. and, and sort of you know, art and art making sort of became a, a flexible enough. Yeah. Wrapper container, wrapper container, yeah. basket Structure. for, yeah. Yeah. Basket's for, a good for, word. Yeah, That's a good for, segue. For the, for the thing, for the things that I was doing that I wanted to do. Yeah. 
So that was I. You mentioned that you were sort of like a late bloomer in the art making game. Mm-hmm. Was that sort of like, was it post San Francisco it was State? Post San Francisco State. Yeah. So this was maybe 2012 when I started to think, okay, I have to, I have to find some other means. Yeah. Um, and then I, and then I was like, well, okay, if I'm going to do this art thing, then I, I need to figure out some sort of way to yeah. get some context, maybe yeah. get some skills or something. And so I, I was trying to then find other alternative sort of um, routes, but yeah. I ended up, um, someone told me about the School of the Art Institute that I should check it out because I also have a background in theater. We can kind of circle back to that later, but sort of performance embodiment was this sort of other kind of parallel sort of track right. passion that was sort of in my life all the time and and i figured well okay they they have a performance mfa yeah this might be at least a way to kind of get in to the door and it's also and such then, a theoretical school and it's super yeah. theoretical and that was a big draw for me also yeah. coming from like that like experimental avant-garde film yeah. like I'm thinking about all these things already, so somewhere yes. I can understand them would be great. And I think that's what sort of that gave me um, at least a found. It was a parallel foundation that I yeah. could draw on. Yeah, um, they gave me a sort of bibliographies that I could refer to, um, and that was really helpful too. While I was sort of struggling trying to figure out, like, okay, how do I make? Like, yeah, what, what is that? What does that look like? like I'm is, really interested to hear you that? talk about yeah about that because I mean, there's yeah. obviously the performance side, and I think that probably has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. But especially as like somebody myself that came from like moving images, and then suddenly it's like, fuck, what does a practice look like? What is that? What does a studio <laughs> look like? You know, and for me it was like for me it was like starting with like installation and mm. like environments. That's mm. how I went from like film to like quote unquote like visual art. I see. But it seems for you like performance was a big part of performance it. Performance was the performance was sort of the gateway of the transitional um, process to kind of get me into making. Yeah, I needed to kind of go through that because I, I had an embodied sort of like um, memory, had sense memory, and I knew yeah. I knew what it was to perform. I knew what it was to engage audiences. I knew what it was to sort of structure an action right, and to think about the body and space and time a little bit. And mm-hmm. so I figured, well, at least this is an entry point. Yeah. Um, and I sort of had to do that. And then I slowly started to introduce sort of materials. And again, sort of the body becoming the engine that makes the work. And yeah. um, that was sort of how the segue happened. I mean, it was totally not not linear. Right. It was sort of very... Um, Most things. It was are. very oblique. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I wound up finding myself... Oops, sorry. I think I knocked this over. I, I found myself sort of um, trying to sort of... Um, think about performance as a mode of making a, a mode of production versus like a mode of presentation yeah and once I sort of started to make that distinction in my head I, it things sort of began to become a little bit more clear um, so I can sort of make a thing with the body like I can make nice. make a uh, a volume of plastic happen with like you know a hip and a knee like that can become the thing that's sort of driving a form yeah into being um yeah, that's sort of how. Which also know. to me seems like such a California thing, and I don't mean it, that as no, it at all. But like, I'm, not I'm thinking of the, at no. All. <laughs> I'm thinking of like, <laughs> I'm thinking specifically of like Cal Arts and like oh, Nauman, okay. and also yes. like Avon Rayner and like dance films and the Pacific dance. Cinematheque. Yeah, and like how all those things about like relating to the body in California, especially like in the '70s, were kind of coming to mm-hmm. a head. Like this, like maybe dissolution of different um i guess like silos and i think it has a lot to do with the academy too and just with access but 
Yeah, it does. It's a, I'm glad you bring that sort of reference point, the 70s. And I would go back, I think, a little bit further for me, like yeah. the 60s and yeah. 70s. Yeah. So um, you say Yvonne Rayner, but there's also like um, Trisha Brown. For sure, Sort yeah. of all that sort of like witchy sort of forest dance that was happening in the Bay Area. Uh-huh. Like all the sort of stuff. Um, Buto was really big Oof. in the Bay Area. Yeah, and then like one of my like all-time heroes, um, Maya Darren. Who? Maya Darren, experimental filmmaker oh. who did a lot of dance films that had a lot to do in California too. Yeah. Um, so I think there was, I think you're, you're referencing kind of a, definitely like a moment in time. And I think something that's possible and that was poss- very possible on the West coast. Yeah. It's a, it's to me like such a West coast thing too. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Of like just people escaping basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you bring that up escaping. And I think that's such a wonderful, um, Let's put stick a pin in that. Let's stick a pin in that because I think that also brings up the idea of like queerness and otherness uh-huh. Uh-huh. in terms of production. Yeah. And I think it's kind of hard to like talk about like being in San Francisco at like a sort of like a <laughs> at any age in your life. Yeah. But especially as like a queer person and just that kind of extends maybe into other areas. Yeah, I think you. I think it's uh, it extends, it leaks into, it seeps into. I think from almost everything. I think the the Bay Area. I think at different times, and I think or for maybe I don't know. I I might be romanticizing too. So so check me. Yeah, it's a point in time. We can. It's do a, that but now. it's a yeah, point. It's in, not real. It's, it's not there it's anymore. Not real. It's, not, it's gone. It's not yeah. there, and it's not um, it's not continuous either. Right. For like for me, it was like my first instance of being sort of like dipped into it, where oh like nothing's compartmentalized nothing has to be compartmentalized yes i think that's the important yeah um and i think it was sort of that that um experience of sort of walking down market street or um even you know walking in oakland and so like cruising is happening openly in the street like in a way that wasn't quite that i don't quite remember experiencing in los angeles yeah maybe because it's more the pedestrian sort of life doesn't happen as much. yeah it's more spread out it's, it's harder to get in yeah, those situations but i think I think, yeah, I think it's all, all of it's happening. All of it's happening sort of, all of it was sort of happening in the open and, and uh, I don't know. It was less shame. Yeah. Less shame. I mean, things are, Dory Alley, you know, Dory Alley's happening. Right. Folsom's happening. Like nothing sort of, um, there aren't limitations to what you can get your, your ass and your mouth into, you know what the, I mean? Yes. Like there's That's a good point. nothing. Um, right. And that's really liberating and wonderful. And I think as a 18 year old, like the first time that I went, it was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like being from, a, am assuming, relatively Catholic background. Yeah, extremely you know? Catholic. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a huge change. I know. I know. It's like, um, you know, the devotional object becomes something else altogether. And right. It's okay for that to yeah, that instinct, <laughs> that instinct goes into a lot of different places. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did that sort of express it? Or the, was that any sort of a part of like the performance work um, for you or that sort of trajectory from, okay, literature, uh, using the brain, thinking about the body, thinking yeah. about space and time in the performative yeah. sense and then to something else? I want to say yes. Like my instinct is to say yes. Um, and I don't know if I can totally articulate why, but uh, my my intuition says, yeah, of course. So I... It, how could it not be right um and i think that maybe maybe it's less of a pronounced kind of queerness but more of um more of a ta- like the 
tactility of encountering mm. something. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be um, flesh on flesh, but it could be sort of like flesh on something else. Yeah. Um, and sort of allowing um, the physicality of that encounter with another thing, whether it's the yeah. appropriate thing or not the appropriate thing. I think that's what kind of where the language of queerness might dip yeah. into, but, and to have a sort of sensorial experience with a thing. Yeah. Um, and having that, um, lead to having that, that encounter sort of progress and, and keep a kind of momentum and keep a sort of drive to sort of some, some ending, right? yeah. some, <laughs> and I mean, like, how, like, Freudian and Catholic no, totally. can you get? Like, I mean, That's what about, it. like, yeah. I mean, the idea of, like, this, like, Catholic upbringing, it, like, makes you, like, think of this, like, this, like, fetish object or this point of, like, rapture through. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's <laughs> through, like, everywhere, rosary, right? It's, a it's like, rosary, the thorns, bleeding, candle, yeah. Um, you know, Santa Teresa, like, the right. love, here's yeah. the, you know, like, who doesn't want to be pierced with an arrow of fire? Right, like yeah. So it's, it's, it's not a it's big step. It's so good. It's no. no surprise that, like, it's... we're all, like, so fucking obsessed with, like, Catholic iconography because like it's it, like it trained us to like get are to this you, point yeah me? yeah absolutely like i i i remember i so the our neighborhood church was um precious blood okay um of course what a name and, i know it's so good and um and i literally remember sitting in mass with my you know with my family and just like really as a child, like the eroticism of a child, but yeah. really sort of like getting off on sort of like, I mean, there's nothing but flesh and there's nothing yeah. but like different states of um, unrobing. Yeah. That's yep. super erotic. There's, and how many, there's 12 <gasps> stages of it? Yes. <laughs> 12. Uh-huh. That's a lot of them. You know? Yeah. And they all have their very distinct kind of like um, arcs. Right. And there's like the lushness of like the priest's like robes and this, you know, depending on like the ceremony oh, and like, yeah. the It's all super very Different metals. The metals. smell of the incense. Yeah. yeah. There's so much like, yeah. It's, um, it's a physical, um, sensorial, sensorial activity going on there. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's Catholicism for what, you know however we want to position ourselves around it. it's like it's a primer <laughs> yeah it's a primer absolutely so like you know then um you know encountering a piece of fabric or a sheet of plastic can kind of have that same sort of um it's not the same material but, right. but i think that there's a sense of memory of like that a kind of encounter that could be possible that could be rapturous that could be um which in and of itself is like okay well how there's something weird about um, having kind of flesh on a non-organic material yeah. being a kind of thing, you know, and you can substitute that non-organic material with anything, you know, right? rubber, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, there's, I don't know. So that's an interesting uh, segue about, language yeah, I mean, let's maybe talk about plastic and yeah. maybe like your history with plastic and how like that became the thing. Yeah. Um, well, sort of, you know, what are your earliest memories with plastic? What are my earliest? Let's go, <laughs> let's, let's go back, Ivan. Let's go back together. Let's do a, let's do a things that think, experience. yeah, I can think of like maybe like, um, <laughs> the plastic on furniture. I don't so know if your family did that. My family didn't, but you know what? My, um, my godmother did. Okay. And she covered her entire little house. They were the first sort of people in our family who like purchased a home Ooh, in yeah. Southgate, um, California. And she was obsessed with having no 
like not having any bodies have any contact with the actual surfaces in her home. Right. So like everything, there were runners, plastic was everywhere. So that's, that's, that's a memory. It's a memory. And there was something about, you know, like there's something about that too, that I really was, was fascinated by. I was really interested in, in getting my finger between the plastic and the Ooh, furniture. Yeah. I know. Travieso, but like, I was really into sort of like sneaking a, Sneaking a touch of the actual, like, <laughs> copying a feel of the furniture. I did. Yeah. I wanted a cup of feel of it. I know it's like really. It's I think it's like Stevie there. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. But yeah, there's that. But I feel like I think it's a lot more. I think the earliest kind of account. It's just a lot more ordinary. It's yeah. everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. It was everywhere. Every in every place in every corner of the home. Every sort of and it was like a decorative thing. It was a utilitarian thing. It was it and boundaries sort of, are mixed between those two. What's utilitarian um, and what's yeah, decorative? Yeah, right. All the time, you know. And so, I don't know. I think it's just always been there. Um, and there isn't like a particular moment or time. But I feel like what drew me to it was I would see. Um, plastic sheeting on people's studios. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, the plastic sheeting is sort of like the maid of in the studio. Um, it picks up, it picks up, and it cleans up after. Yeah, and that is sort of where my connection comes in because my my grandmother is a domestic worker, my mom is a domestic worker, every single adult woman in my family is a domestic worker, and I think there's a connection about the material that does the picking up after yeah. that, that was really, it kind of hit punched me in the gut. And I think I was like, I need to sort of be with that. I think that's a, that's, that's so did the plastic then come to. until grad, grad school? school? Oh wow. That's yeah. That's, it didn't come until yeah. grad school. I had, I, have so much tarp in the studio like if you you can't really see it because i've hidden <laughs> it but like that closet is like there's like so many rolls of tarp because tarp was like it's so i mean it's so yeah. useful it's I mean, so it's, useful yeah. yeah and it's it's affordable it's useful it's great um, for lighting effects it's wonderful for lighting effects i've seen it used in theater mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it's got like a million and one uses so i think that part of it too like how can you the 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 utilitarian possibilities or functions of a, yeah. of a single thing of a single substance yeah. um to me is is also really interesting um I, you know i it, it's about resourcefulness and about yeah. inventiveness um i think that was the thing too like i wanted to challenge myself like and make something out of this nothing yeah that seems to me a very immigrant thing because mm-hmm. from it, yeah yes. that and also like the creation or sort of twisting a material And this to me is also, I think of it also as a very kind of like a uh, (laughs) uh, post-colonial relationship to materials in that, you know, like for me, I'm I'm really obsessed with like folk traditions of like Mm -hmm. how like Latinos will make something out of nothing, Mm -hmm. specifically in like churches or altars or like sort of like folk art and how those things are like cardboard, newspaper, plastic. Oh, yeah. Uh, including oh, yeah. in like the churches and it's like just by working this material over and over and over mm-hmm. and it's the same sort of like impetus that like our indigenous ancestors had you know you do it yeah. with like palm fronds before that you do, exactly it's what's you around play, you exactly and and i think that's i think you i'm glad you brought that up too because i think that there's um there's kind of two routes right to craft yeah. practices that you can or you know two 
primary maybe route that mm-hmm. you can take with a craft practice you can go kind of this like super puristic utility um traditional kind of indigenous way where you grow the thing you yeah. cultivate the thing use you the whole animal. the thing all of that yeah. stuff um but i but i want to say that there's also on the flip side of that it's like well folks indigenous communities were using what was at hand yes it's what's around it's you. It's what's around. It's exactly what you yeah. said. So there isn't sort of anything. I mean, I, I'm i going to just go out on it. It's there, not anything particular about the thing. It's just whatever's there. Yeah. It's whatever grass is available yeah. to you. Yeah. It's whatever, whatever palm seeds. frond is there, whatever seeds, whatever, you know, it, yeah. and you kind of work with what's there. And I think like I, I can't, although I have a, a very deep, deep desire to kind of go back there isn't, there isn't, it's, there is that's no an there. impossibility, right. it's a fantasy. But what I do have is sort of that, I can access that same impulse to use what's around. And the yeah. most ubiquitous thing yeah. in my life, in our lives, are thermoplastics. Yeah. So there's nothing, you know, there's no there, that it's nothing, it's nothing really amazing about it. It's just, it's literally what's around. Right. Like we look around your studio, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, yeah. You know, and we wear it, it's on us, it's in us, we are digesting it these days. I mean, it's like, you know. <laughs> it's in your fish. <laughs> it's in your fish, girl. Um, even if you're getting it at Whole Foods. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's, and I don't know if that's a, a post-colonial impulse or not, but it's more, it's a way to sort of, um be tr- to have a trinity tima, uh, trinity minha moment to sort of be in proximity to that yes. to be nearby that right because there's no going there there's no there's no there's a there's no reason to be there we cannot speak for right. but we can speak nearby we can be around we can be in proximity and that, this is a way to kind of it gets me as close as i can without getting into these sort of indigenous sort of fantasies right I think there's also something to be said about claiming space Mm. and making your environment also, you know, sort of like making your nest. And this goes back, you know, a lot even longer than like human culture. But, you know, it's like there's a reason that like the discount mall in Little Village sells all these cheap, tacky fucking things. And those are fucking gorgeous to me. I love that aesthetic, that like Rasquache aesthetic. Mm -hmm. But it's like that's what's available. And that's, you know, I, I, I think a lot about like. One thing you mentioned when you came into my house is that yeah. I have all my work put up. Yeah. And for me, that's like such a fucking important thing because I'm claiming space. I'm making this space mine. Yeah. I'm and marking my space. With yeah. With work. my work, with how I transform what's around me into something that's beautiful yeah. and makes my environment my own. Yeah. And I think that's um, a very important thing for immigrants to do. Absolutely or just for is. people, yeah, that don't have their own. Um, it's a way to claim agency, I think, over your environment in a way. Yeah, when I think that there's so much around that you have no control over, yes. right? There's like um, the administrative, bureaucratic, systemic, cultural, sort of administrative sort of elements of one's environment that yeah. we have no control over. We can't even speak its language. It speaks us most of the time, whatever. And so what do then we do with the containers that we have? Well, we have right. these walls that we're, many of us rent. Um but yeah, you start to kind of put up things and, you know, I, my, my grandmother forever, cause she's a very, very resourceful woman and she saved every single penny that she made. Mm-hmm. So she decorated with like the calendars that they gave out at yeah. the panaderias. Yeah. And you know, you cut that shit out and that's yeah. cute. That's pretty. Yeah, you like there's, <laughs> there's floral motifs and statues of Europe, you know, you've tacked those up on the wall, whatever. But, um, 
irregardless, I think what you're tapping into is what I, which I really appreciate, irregardless of what the thing is, what the representational value or whatever is of the thing. It's yeah. the impulse to, to nest, to make a home or make a space for one's dwelling to, to beautify. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like just because we're immigrants, it doesn't mean that we can't make our places beautiful. Right. To, or in our image or that we somehow, we somehow lose the joy of putting some, putting of, of arranging. Right. 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 Our cositas, whatever they might be. Um, and taking a lot of pride in, in doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 it sort of like becomes like your safe space in the way. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred um, <clears> percent. <throat> so, how did you get comfortable with plastic? Because I also know that like there's one thing about like recognizing what's around you, but then there's this whole fucking process of like, how do I feel like this is my material? This is something that I work with. So, um, I say that's I did it at SAIC. Yeah. So I literally would spend. Um, and for those of you SAIC folks, there's like the 2M and the McLean building, right? Uh-huh. Like hyper specific. Um, and I would basically reserve that. And I would spend like during the winter breaks when I couldn't necessarily afford to travel, like I would just book it and I would be in there for nice. all day. Um, and I would just have sheets and sheets of plastic and I would just be there like my naked body and plastic sheets. And Were you in performance? I was in performance. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. And that's all I would do. And I would just spend time. And it finally... You know, after a few months of just being with the material for a really long time, it finally, I finally, my body finally began to learn it. Yeah. And so what I was after was trying to figure out a way to have like, to make sculpture, right? I want that was sort of the end point, but what I needed to do was have my body make it. Um, and I still hadn't distinguished if the performance, if it was the performance, that was the thing, or if it was the object. Right. Yeah. It was way too early. I couldn't decide, but spending time and I mean, it was like really lame, but like my body hair would get caught and like would stick to the plastic (laughs) and like the grime from the floor. And it was like all these sort of little microscopic little events on the substance itself would start to happen. And I would start to, I, my body learned how to, um, really push on the tensility of it like i would Ooh. make it stretch i could i could i could hold it and wrap it into different parts of my body and like pull away and just have that thing sort of really stretch and make sound and it was it took months but i was finally sort of uh at a place where i could i could manipulate it and it became almost like fabric very yeah. soft and it, yeah. and it gave it was really pliable um how many different types of um plastics did you experiment with so primarily polyethylene sheeting so i i did like um 0.6 millimeter 0.4 um 0.3 um and i really i ended up liking the 0.4 a lot more it just it was crinkly enough that it had the sort of sonic had the right body it did and it had the right give but it wouldn't tear and it mm-hmm. had to be so delicate with it but it wasn't so difficult to maneuver also that I, it would just it would master me you know it was just the right sort of partner um so i worked with that a lot nice and that was primarily what i ended up working with um and sort of since then i've been sort of working with other plastics yeah. so I've, um the point three sort of uh, painter's plastic is what yeah. i'm using now with the basketry plastic lacing is what i'm using, yeah. working with now um but it was that sort of very clear, milky, 
nothing material yeah that was sort of like i think that's an interesting point too especially like thinking about otherness and queerness Mm -hmm. when i was talking about like making things with the materials that are around you and thinking Mm -hmm. about queerness too obviously the one thing that brings that comes to mind for myself also is just camp Mm -hmm. and drag in a way in the way that those are sort of like these dialectical structures that sort of take like a dominant perspective and then just figure out okay what do i do how do i claim this like um the space or this how do do i create beauty with like what's here which is both like a similar thing in those two situations the camp and then and and the the immigrant thing for me at least yeah no it is those two things are very sort of parallel and i think with your color scheme probably that comes up too it really comes up now more than ever that sort of um ridiculousness of of that color palette um and there's like uncalled for heroism of using like plastic to like this like (laughs) beautiful like result but it's like nobody's looking for it you know it's like that's so camp it really is that's so interesting that thank you for bringing that up i i hadn't really pulled on that thread tugged on that thread a lot um but i think i think it absolutely is it's almost like a it's a it's it borders on the melodramatic of yeah. melodramatics of, of camp a little. Yeah. You know, to sort of like over what is that? It's sort of over um uh over identify or over um almost fetishize a kind of thing that should shouldn't have that kind of value. Right. The leftovers. It's the leftovers. Yeah. The leftovers, the garbage, the trash, the cultural leftovers. Also a very Bay Area kind of like aesthetic. It's so true. Yes. <laughs> hard to get away from the area. How is that you? received at SAIC? The sort of the use of plastic and this sort of coming from a different background. And like, this is kind of like a leading question. I had a really hard time at SAIC. A lot yeah. of people that I've talked to just because yeah. like the faculty there tends to be very dismissive of things that are not coming from a Western perspective. Totally. What was your experience like? So it was a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, my first crit was horrendous. <laughs> Um, had one good one I think I had a couple I was really lucky I was actually really lucky but it was a mixed bag Um, and I think that there was a lot of sort of language that was hurled at me about somehow my choices not being informed like there there was a sort of um, assumption that I was choosing to use for example um, a a 3x5 index card Mm -hmm. um, because I had no intellectual capacity to sort of make another critical choice like I think that was sort of the subtext (sighs) of the thing and I'm like well no bitch I'm using a 3x5 card because it's an index card that's used in the education like there's a Right. There's, there's a we have to justify ourselves, a, right? Yeah. And there's always sort of like the work of having to sort of justify one's own sort of choices that sh- that I felt sometimes got in the way. Um, but I kind of shook that shook that off, and I was like, okay, well, I know I know how I'm approaching things. I know yeah. how I'm thinking yeah. about things. It, I might not be the most articulate person in sort of like communicating that with this sort of art crowd, which I'm encountering for the first time. So I think that was another thing too. Yeah. Like I hadn't, I didn't have the sort of the skills of sort of being able to wrap myself around art speak. Right. So I didn't have that, which is fine, but I had all this other, I had all these other sort of, um, sort of basins of language to sort of dip into. So for yeah. me, it sort of made sense. Like I, I was making references um, they just weren't apparent. And so I had to sort of take a step back. And I think it was good that it was, I was in my mid thirties so that I could sort of step away a little bit and be like, okay, that's your stuff. Like that that's exhausting. It sure the fuck is. But you know what? But it was like, but I needed to sort of, you need to do that yeah. work because I think it sort of, it then salvages sort of what you're doing. Like it, it, 
it helped me sort of stay grounded. Like, okay, well that's your entrenchment. Like yeah. that's your attachment to whatever it is that you're talking about, because that's what, um, gives you sort of, you know, um, um, legitimacy. Yeah. I get that. So you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to use that language, um, in, in any sort of any time that you can. Right. Um, and I'm a, and I'm a great sort of object for that. Um, you can teach me, you can explain to me, um, you know, and that's, that's wonderful. There's a whole history of like white splaining, right. Oh, um, God. that's so, <laughs> and benevolent whiteness, right. Yeah. That's so, so wonderful and so touching. Um, that was sarcasm, by the way, yeah, everybody. Straight people, that was sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, so there was, so there was, so there was encounters with that. And on the flip side, yeah, there were there were people that were perhaps weren't getting what I was doing. Got it. But gave me space mm. that listened, that kept saying, "Well, keep doing it." Yeah. Um, keep doing it more. Um that's fine if you don't know what to talk about it, but just keep doing it and keep pointing at things. Yeah. Like, so I did have that. Um, and a lot of those folks were in fiber and material. So I ended up fiber. Seriously. Like I, I know brought this coven. before. Like, no, like the fucking fibers and materials There's program is like where we like, for some reason, it's the place where all these great conversations are happening. And like, happen. I had like FMS, shit, like, like, like I wanted to be there. All my friends were there too. And like, mm-hmm. Yeah, they had the best conversations yeah. about those sort of things. I it's amazing. My, I took my first class. I took uh, my first class with Ann Wilson, and I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm good. Yeah, like, okay, got it. Great. I'm here. I'm yeah. done. I'm good. I'm... And not to say, not to disparage performance, but I feel like, you know, they're they were sort of cultivating performers as they should. You right. Know? They yeah. Should, and they are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. Like I. And I owe a lot to them. I owe a lot to, you know, Lynn Hickson, to Mark Jeffries. God, to, shout out to all to, those people. Those to people all are amazing. Of them. They're yeah, amazing. To Robert, to Robert Sinfuentes. Like, he pushed me. He pushed me when I didn't I want to be ask you about. Yeah, I want to ask yeah. you about your experience with him because, like, La Pocha Nostra and just, like, the aesthetics yes. of that has been, like, oof. That, like, Mexican, like, Aztec futurism or whatever, like, that and, has been, like, such an incredible way for me to, like, organize my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, it was huge. Well, funny enough to go back to the Bay Area, yeah. Bay Area they did back a performance. The yeah. They did a performance. I think it was like in 2011 at a at a place, um, and I saw it. Yeah. Um, and I went with my sister because she was at Cal at the time, and we went. And they were doing this sort of salon style thing. There was a huge like a DJ like way out in a booth, and I was watching Roberto Cifuentes like doing this performance very minimal with like the goat the goat carcass okay it was a thing that he was doing with the goat carcass and i was like oh yeah like that makes this sense is, i see this. this is the this is the thing like this yeah. is the stuff yeah and so you know after doing some research i was like oh he's there cool and i got to work with him nice and it was wonderful and i think that department had that there was already his presence was there yeah and, you know People may feel any kind of way about all any of the professors and we have our own experiences with them. But I will say to you that knowing that he was there kind of gave me the courage to apply, quite yeah. frankly, because yeah. I was like, if I'm going to do this, there needs to be at least one person that I feel like I can kind of relate to. Maybe not completely. Right. Right. And that's OK. Like, yeah. just being each other's neighborhoods. Like for me, that's a lot. Absolutely. Somebody that you don't have to justify yourself no. from. Yeah. No. That's so important. Yeah. He pushed me. He really did. In 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 a way that I needed to be pushed. And so I'm super grateful. 
Who else did you work with? And shout out to Mark Jeffries too, because I don't know Lynn Dixon so much, but like Mark Jeffries is just like one of the nicest, most kind, supporting, he's kind, smart, he's, talented, just like incredible people. Oh yeah, he's devoted. He yeah, he's does, un- un- unbelievable. Yeah, no, he's he's really amazing, and I owe him a lot, and I owe him, I owe him a lot of. Um, if it wasn't for him, there would be opportunities that I wouldn't have gotten. So yeah. I I owe him a lot, and he's wonderful. Um, who else did you work with at SAC Advisors with, that you're like really um, the people that really kind of changed how you thought about so, it? So Lynn Hickson, who you said Lynn. you didn't know, um, she was incredible. Um, I worked with um, Joan Livingstone from Fibers. Yeah, she Oof. was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, she, again, she was one of these people who's like, okay, I let's just keep going. <laughs> like, yeah. And she would just listen. Um, Kelly Kaczynski was wonderful. Mm. I worked with her. I took a, a contemporary histories of craft course with um, Lisa Weinbaum. Oh, oh I fucking God, all these people. Oh, she's, <laughs> yeah. she's amazing. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and she was the one who reached out to me and was like, Hey, do you want to teach intro to fiber? Nice. Which, and I was like, are you kidding? Yeah. So I'll be doing that. Um, in the spring awesome congratulations that's yeah, great i yeah. love those classes <sighs> yeah I, I i wish i wish i was able to take them yeah i wasn't able yeah. to take a lot of them but i did end up working with some folks and i ended up connecting with sort of um the students that were there at the time and and um yeah that place was a refuge a refuge fibers yeah mm-hmm. yeah what was it like after saic because that like post-grad school period is so painful what was that like for you <sighs> I feel like I had, um, I feel like I really needed to create some distance. Yeah. Um, it was tough, but at the same time, it's for all the wonderfulness about SAIC, it's mm-hmm. also like this machinery that just is like, it's this sort of factory. Yeah. It's this mega factory and there's just so much going on, which on the one hand is great because it's, you're constantly stimulated. Things right. are always happening. Right. Um, for me, I always had to sort of modulate cause I was like, I'm a lot more sensitive, so I get overwhelmed very easily. So for me, like the transition away was actually really good. Yeah. That was me. so important for me to it just like be healthy. like, fuck everybody. That's, you know, when, <laughs> when you mentioned like the dates that you were in grad school, like that was my period of like, fuck you, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, I'm sticking in my own studio. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm not going to talk. Yeah. I don't want to know if I have to, and I can choose who I can talk to and who not to. And so I was, um, I I needed to make those choices for myself. Yeah. And and sort of one, two years out, there was the sort of the group of people that I stayed in contact with were, you know, less and less, but I felt like there were more there was more quality there. Right. Um and I felt like, okay, these are relationships I want to keep nurturing. Yeah. Um but do it was you, hard. It was hard. Do you feel not, like you've worked through that? Or are you still going through it? I think I think I'm at a point where I'm not I'm not overworking it too much anymore i mean i think that they're i don't know i think what helped me out a lot Mm -hmm. was that i'd already gone through a graduate program yeah that's a good point yeah so i'd gone through that and then you weren't like 23 and i wasn't 23 I wish I was like I, you know, I wish. <laughs> but I had not the in that stamina, case. Like, youth is like, awesome, but like not in like an educational setting, and not like as like know. an artist. Like experience is a mm-hmm. big deal. Experience was a yeah. big deal, and having kind of gone like seen through the world, that, yeah, having done that a little bit was important. Having had sort of mentors that, you know, had I gone through that sort of period yeah. of like distanciation and keeping in touch like I, I had a little bit to draw on that yeah. I could say, well, like okay, it can kind of go like this. 
I can kind of like unglue myself a little bit from from it and try to figure out it was the post sort of MFA because that's like a residency, right? It's like a two yeah. year. Yeah. You have space, you have time, you have it's alternate to reality for two years. Completely different. Yeah. Regardless of whether you're working and you have other commitments and stuff, it's still that's it. The core that's where you are. Where yeah. you are. It's the center of your universe for yeah, two years. Yeah. And there were other things I needed to take up care of immediately. Like I needed to move back to the Bay Area to be with my then partner that I'd been with for, you know, for a long time. And and we needed to figure out what we were going to do. Yeah. So I had to get back to the reality of my, 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 my relationships and, and like, what are we going to, what are we So you left do? Chicago after grad school and then came back again? I did. Knowing the winters and everything? I know. Well, I mean, I guess if I you're know. in San Francisco, it's like, well, I mean, it's like, it's impossible to like, it's so know, difficult to like. <sighs> go like go there or go back if you don't have like a rent control place that's it so it was like i went back and my every single thought was about money and i needed to get a full-time job immediately and i was lucky that i had because i worked in the bay area before so in in nonprofit sector but but i had contacts and i was able to sort of make that happen but then like I literally, my studio practice became, I was doing some embroidery during my like micro lunch break during <laughs> yeah. a full day of work, yeah. um, which was, you know, I, I was like, okay, uh, you know, I was telling myself this, I was kind of creating this fantasy of myself, like, okay, my studio practice can be, it could be a lunch hour practice. It could be in a little, a little pouch where yeah. there's a needle and thread. Like, that's all <laughs> I need. No, really, that's all it could be. And I kept telling, but yeah, it's completely unsustainable unless yeah. you're a person of means or have access to sort of resources that I didn't have. Right. My partner and I were just sort of working, just trying to make it happen. You know, he came to me three months after I had, you know, come come back and he was like, Hey babe, should we just should we just do it? Do you like Chicago? I do. Have you grown to like it? I've, Maybe put it I've, in that situation. I've grown. I've grown to like it. Yeah. Well, and it's sort of like well, we're here now, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. you're like you better like it. You better like things about it. I like things about it. I I think it's. Um, well, there's that. There's the fact that you can have a practice here and sort of it's for a big city that's well connected. It's affordable. Yeah, you've hit the. You've hit it on the on the yeah. nose i think it's truly like that became sort of like okay well if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna have a practice yeah i can do it in chicago and we can not be starving and right we can sort of and for nine live. months you have a good excuse to stay in and just stay in the studio because it's so fucking cold outside it's built in it's yeah it's built in if, if you have like hermit tendencies like most artists should if you have a studio practice it's a perfect place for excuses it's perfect i mean yeah. I'm, I'm i'm super happy so i'm happy with those things That's good. there's a lot of things about the city that i don't like um but they sort of sometimes outweigh. Yeah. Can I do this and can I be where I'm at? Can I can I have the practice that I have now there? No. Yeah. And so I have to sort of remind myself of that. And so right. that's that was a choice we we made and we made together. So the post the postgraduate sort of period was was so caught hard. up in these other in these other things. Um but yeah, it's it's been good. And I ended up um, working at the Leather Archives. So it was like, that was a time. Thank and... you for that transition. Let's talk <gasps> yes. about that. Because I have such a deep love. <laughs> I have such, such a deep love for that organization. Yeah. Like definitely was one of the things when like moving to Chicago, I was like, this is a city where this is not only happening, but also there's a museum for it. Mm-hmm. You know, there, it's it's it gives us it this uh, 
reverence and this care. Yeah. And it's such an incredible organization. I've worked with them a number of times. I've been yeah. in, in like, I've been there hundreds of times. Yeah. It's such an incredible collection and such a great place. Shout out to Mel, by the way. Yeah. Shout out to Mel. Um, who's the, who's actually the second archivist that was ever high professional archivist. that was ever. Yeah. Hired. Mel's amazing. So, Mel leverage. Mel leverage folks. Um, yeah, I I worked there for almost three years. I I would have to say that I'm really. First of all, let me, let me backtrack. I went to the leather archives when I was in at SAIC, yeah. so I didn't even know it existed, and I, it, I had that experience of like, oh my god, I can't believe this place exists. Yeah, why didn't anybody tell me? I had no idea this place actually exists. Um, so I feel like, regardless of how I feel about it and it's how it's run the fact that it exists right is so significant yeah for sure and that it's existed for as long as it has yes so significant and that it is changing too because i understand i I kind of can read between the lines of what you're saying and that you know especially like in queer spaces Mm -hmm. especially in like kink places Mm -hmm. uh, or in kink environments there's been up to like the present and it's just now starting to change but like an openness to brown people an Mm -hmm. openness to queer people an openness to women an openness to trans people that just wasn't there before so it was really i mean you know Leather culture, whether we want it or not, and again, it goes back to camp, but it does kind of come from like fascist, like absolutely images. You know, it's like a, it's, a, it's a way of like claiming like agency around them, but like yeah. it doesn't come from like the nicest places sometimes, and it definitely has some like darkness to it that like is changing. Absolutely. It's becoming a much more welcoming place. The fact that there's a, a female curator, mm-hmm. the fact that they have like galleries about women's work and women no, in leather it's 100%, amazing and that their and that their um board of directors is also yeah too. yeah there's, there's a lot of i think it's kind of um seeing it in terms of like its stages of development it's not quite where it, it maybe would want to be but it's it's in a it's in the midst of a kind of broader trend transition and, absolutely. and sh- a moment of change absolutely and that's really that's something to sort of pause and take note of. But I, but ultimately like the fact that it exists, yes. the fact that more the fact and more that people the, know about it. Yes. The fact that that work is in the box somewhere being taken care of and exactly. being like itemized and shout out to Mel. I know that the project that she's been working on to like make the collection available because yeah, it was there, digitize. but it wasn't available. Right. And that was huge. And that was like a, this other, that was a yeah. huge sort of um push, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of advocacy, I think on, on her part, which, yeah. which is, which is really it's something again to really um, acknowledge her for. For sure, know? yeah. I think that that feeds into the fact that it was or just uh, uh, Chicago's best kept secret. Right. It doesn't have right. to be that anymore. It doesn't. No. And I think this whole um, move to digitize is is part of is response in response to. That. Yeah, so. and bringing in you know, and I think you had a huge part of this, but also, but like to bring in contemporary arts to. Yeah. The leather archives, because yeah. there are so many of us that are like kinky fuckers that like could be mm-hmm. like included in there. You know, the idea of like leather and alternative sexualities and like cultural production around them like especially in a city like chicago can is go so much deeper that i think maybe mm-hmm. that museum considered before yeah that's a great way to put it i don't i don't think it was um i had i don't think it had any idea that there was this happening or that yeah. or that the lam could be so central right could, had the potential to be central to yeah. that right to be a kind of site for production right um for art production um and for academic production too because our library is incredible production. too and the they're library. so good the librarians there they're so incredible at just being like 
there's hey, a I'm lot interested of in this. What do you got? Yeah, there's a lot of material. Um, and for folks that haven't been there yet, and that maybe um, you know, are are weary about having to pay admission fees, like if you want to go and check out the library, it's absolutely a free resource to the yeah. community. So just go up to the front desk and be like, hey, I want to use a library. Yeah, and. Or go during one of the special or, events or that they have. Or during special events, yeah. or go during the free day, which right. is what they do on Thursdays. Like there are ways to access the access the materials that are there, and there's there's so they're just waiting for you. Yeah. So go. Yeah, it's yeah. An incredible place. How did you start your involvement with them? I literally was just looking for a job. Nice. It was that. It was that um, ordinary. I was looking for a job. I had this fantasy in my head that I was living in Edgewater. I wanted to walk to work. Um, and I wanted a part-time job, um, you know, that I could sort of also work at the same time. And that was sort of the fantasy that I had in my head and they had an opening and I know that I'd been there before and I just went and it just so happened that they were, they were, I don't know at what point they were in the conversations about wanting to professionalize and wanting yeah. to sort of, um, change things. Yeah. Um, and, and I came in at sort of at a, at a moment, um, they were subsequent transitions, but, but I got in there and, and was able to really sort of put to practice like over a decade of sort of nonprofit yeah. kind of work that I've done in the past. And, and it was really gratifying for the time that I was there. Um, yeah. You curated yeah. a couple of really interesting shows. One of the ones that I went to was Material Kink. My yeah. friend Derek was in there and uh, yes. there were some other people. It in is it. amazing chair. Vincent was in there too. Yeah. Vincent was in there. Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, how did that come about? What was your experience doing that? It was a great experience and it really came about um, just from a, just kind of witnessing a kind of um, malaise and of, of what was happening before and kind of seeing, kind of looking back at what they had been doing previously. And they had a kind of history of, of exhibitions where for the most part it was photography heavy. It was sort of like um, male body heavy. Um, White male body heavy. White male body heavy. Thank you for, yeah. um, Being really specific. And, and there was a kind of, you know, nineties photography kind of aesthetic that, Albeit it, there was so much of it in the collection too. You know, yeah. there's so much of that in the collection. It was a, it was a prime kind of time of, pr- of producing these images too. So it's 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 not without sort of present. It wasn't arbitrary, right? Um, but I again seeing sort of like well, there's a whole range of of um, bodies that aren't here, and and or there's so much of an emphasis on a kind of certain kind of body. And I was, yeah. and I was looking around, but there's so much material. There was so, there's so much, there's so many objects, so many substances yeah. that are on display that have been on display over the years that I was like, I just kept thinking, you know, there's, there's gotta be a different way to evoke the body that can sort of open up a space, a visual space for so many of us others that yeah. can't enter that photographic space. And so how, you know, and so that was sort of like the the thing that I wanted to do. And I just sort of presented it and I kept bugging man- the management and leadership about doing it. And, you know, I, I think I wore them down eventually and they agreed. <laughs> just like, okay, cool. Let's, let's do it. And it kind of came around, right. around that. I really wanted to create a space where, the things themselves, I mean, we want to like fuck on rubber sheets or like, we, you know what I mean? There's, right. there are the substances that are kind of around, around the body that invoke the body that are, that are restraining the body that are whatever, uh, yeah. augmenting the body, um, yeah. highlighting the body. Um, and there, and I was noticing that pe- there was artists that were doing that. Um, and I did an open call and the work that came back was really incredible. Um, and so the artists that you saw, I think it was like 13 artists and, 
they all were doing different things, but there was sort of that tie that linked to substance. Yeah. Like the erotics of material, the the implication of bodies. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of how that happened. And it was the first time that I'd ever sort of done that. So again, it's one of those things where if I hadn't been working there, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to put together and organize that show. So that brings up another thing that I think is really interesting about your work, but also like is, is an interesting bridge. The idea of, um, the temporality of the object or the traces of time and like the memory of action that happens in the object that I think is like super evident in like kink objects because there's really is this history of use that's visible in the material, but also like in the way that you work with plastics or with materials, there's a time, um, there's a temporality in them that I think is really interesting. Can you maybe talk about time in your work or in your practice? Yeah. I mean, time, it's it's sort of central. I mean, like there's there's three things, right? There's, there's the time element, there's the body element, and there's the material element. And I think the, the, the two pieces that triangulate the work is really time. And I feel like um, if there's anything that about my practice that is uh, really central to me is that element of time. It's headspace that only mm. comes through time, through the being with a substance, to working a substance, to touching the substance, to wearing wearing that substance down, transforming it, um, and having sort of um, a bodily, tactile knowledge, intimacy with a substance that only comes through a sequence of time, you know, a sequence of time. And then, go ahead. You use the turn of phrase in, 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 in I think it was your statement, um, haptic, chrono- or haptic choreographies. Choreographies, That I yeah. just fucking love, so yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, really is about that, right? It's about, um, I think that there's a, there's a sequence of movements that happen, yeah. right, that are articulated in the knuckles and the wrists um that if you're not making you're it's not something that you know or that you've lived but if you have if you do anything that's um repetitive or that is sort of a a manual kind of thing there is a sequence that you can sort of like draft out and i and i think that it might not be dance as we might sort of come to know it but it is an embodied articulated sequence of events that happen with touch right yeah substance yeah Um, i was talking to melissa leandra was mentioning this but we were talking about like youtube videos and like learning to weave and learning to do things through youtube videos specifically because of that because of being able to look at the hands and see like those choreographies yeah the placement Uh what do you do with them because you can't see that in the book and it's that sort of like felt Mm -hmm. knowledge that like yeah uh, Physical knowledge that's so interesting, I think, in, in, in your practice and the weaving and the coiling yeah. and all these things that you do. How did you arrive to that? How did I arrive to it? I think I arrived to it through like an ex- exhaustion of performance. Mm. And so what I was trying to do was trying As to... As in you were exhausted by performance? I was exhausted of doing it. Like I ah. didn't, my body no longer wanted to do yeah. it. Like my husband and I sort of... Performance um, is hard. It's hard. And... It is very demanding. Yeah, it sure is. And my husband would say like, oh my God, bitch, you're like, you get sick every time. It makes yeah. you sick. Performance makes yeah. you sick. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and it was true. It was making me sick. So I was like, how do I translate sort of... Um, how do I shrink down the scale of what I was doing previously with performance and performance-based sort of sculpture and bring it into a way that um, w- wouldn't make me sick. Yeah. 
So it was a, it was a really, it was an impulse to sort of take care of myself. And I, I, I just, I wanted to remove my body from an evaluatory gaze. Got it. Yeah. I, it was no longer something that I really needed in my yeah. life. Um, and so, yeah. So then it became a question of like, what happens then when I, um, you know, isolate um, sort of the movement or the performance from like the, maybe the shoulder or the wrist to the fingertips, like what I needed to find a, a way of making a way of making work that sort of would just incorporate right. that. How does that gesture become and a how mark? Does it, yeah. How does that gesture become a mark? And so it just became a lot of trial and error. I embroidered a lot. I hooked a lot. I was, I was trying different sort of craft-based practices. And then, you know, one day I just was like, okay, well, why don't I just, why don't I just wrap this and just I wanted to find something that was very simple that was ubiquitous like kind of like I wanted to find a kind of parallel between plastic which was a material that, mm. I, that I wanted to keep yeah with. what is everywhere what is a practice that is not um, it doesn't need much that anybody can have that nobody owns yeah um, you know and sort of coiling sort of became the thing um, and I started doing it and I started experimenting just sort of with the plastics that I had and it just felt right. It yeah. had a, it had a rhythm and a cadence and a, that I, I really, I, I love repetition. So for me, it was like the perfect, it just really fed that need in me to repeat. It has also like a poetic echo too, mm-hmm. that, 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 that I sort of, that I think you sort of grab onto, yeah. uh, with, um, the way that the two elements work together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's um. Thank you for setting that up. Um. Yeah. In the in the language of coiled basketry, there's um. There's reference to passive core and active element, um, and it's very curious. Depending on who is reading that or who's talking about that, I mean, it automatically sort of enters into the world of sort of erotics, right. And sex, and yeah, and interrelation, and and. And what I found really interesting about those two kind of points on the spectrum is that in coiled basketry, you cannot, it's impossible to have one without the other. The passive core is the most crucial thing. It it, it makes form possible. Yeah. And for me, that was a wonderful way to sort of... um, In basketry, as in kink communities. As in kink. (laughs) If there isn't a vessel. If there's no bottom, there's no party. If there's no thing to receive, like you can't have it. It doesn't happen. Um yeah, and I found that sort of parallel really funny um, because it's like there's baskets, you know, there are these right. Sort of it's like, a campus that it's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a, a camp. camp. It's yeah, a camp. but it's um, also like real. Yeah, um, and that's kind of how that plays. And so that so then that sort of interplay, that need to sort of like um, keep playing those once again, one against the other. Yeah. the the intertwining of the two, the constant reminder that you can't have one without the other, um, receiving, giving continuously on and on and on in various in, in variations of that. Yeah. Um, is sort of something that I, I can't I can't stop. Like it's, it's yeah. quite obsessive at this. And point. there's also something very interesting that this goes back to just this generalized sort of like human practice of like mm-hmm. weaving mm-hmm. but in the not making as time passing yes a sort yeah. of a physical representation time. of marking mm-hmm. time yeah to the point where like in like peru like not not making and that was like a fucking language that was yeah. a written language yeah. just through knots but nautical yeah sphere you know yeah yeah, the people in, partic- in particular, it's about record keeping. It's, record it's keeping, about yeah. that sort of precision. This happened keeping. at this point in exactly. the rope. Yeah. And um, 
and it's funny because my my great grandmother didn't read or write, but I found out from my grandmother that she um, she used knots. Oh um, wow! To do her record keeping, um, so she was sort of like the business. So I'm going way back, and I'm and I'm meandering, but uh, it's coming back to knots and keeping yes and keeping yes. records. Um, but she would she would keep all of her accounts, sort of like and and what was owed to her, what was not owed to her, because she knots. ran the business oh, of. Wow my great grandfather's weaving. Um, so he wove and she did the business of it, but she, she did not. I mean, that's so the weaving is something that like runs deep in your family. It does, does, but I didn't know about it until I was at SAIC. So my, my grandmother had come to visit and we had gone to see the, um, the Stein show in the sort of textiles gallery, like Mm -hmm. all the way at the bottom, the bottom floor. Um, and there was a video, I think, I think the artist is, it's something Stein, maybe Jessica, maybe, I don't remember, but there was the installation, there was a video of a floor loom. And so she was kind of oh. working on it. And my grandmother just sort of stood there and my sister and I were like, ¿Qué pasa? and she's just like getting all like getting all emotional and she's starting to tear up. And we're like, ¿Qué pasa, abuela? what's going on? And she's like, I'd forgotten that I would just stand oh, at wow. the floor loom with my father and he would, she's like, I hadn't remembered in. That's years. amazing. And so I was like, Oh, and we, my sister and I was, she's a knitter. She's yeah. like, an, she's an incredible knitter. And so we were kind of looking at each other going, Oh, that was that, that was that piece That's of information from. Yeah. that we didn't know about. And that now all of a sudden sort of in this moment um, came back. So yeah, it was real. There was a flo- four floor looms and um, she ran our, all the business, so they did, oh, wow. uh, they did cotton yardage, um, and she yeah she sold it. That was kind of the thing. But anyway, um, so knots, record keeping, time, time weaving. So yeah, all of that stuff is sort of the the and coiling. It's every revolution of a of the active um, element over a passive core is a, a unit of time. It, there's an interval, right? Yeah. Um, and one of the things I talk about a lot, it's like breathing too. It's like yeah, it's, exactly. It's that For me, sort of like rhythm. that like handwork mm-hmm. is also just like a very meditative thing. It goes back. I think I mentioned like the rosary or like that yeah. Catholic idea of like the monk like this repetitive thing over and over and over away yeah. again as a way to like disconnect yeah. in a way but also like to connect with other things yeah it is it's sort of it's um it, it's a it's like if there was a palate cleanser for attention yes yeah it sort of does that because then it's sort of there's a a physicalness that's occupied yeah so and then other things can sort of happen and i think that's one i think that's one of the reasons why i really love working in this way because it's it's almost like doing the rosary. It's almost yeah. like meditation. It's almost like prayer. There's a yes. there's a time space. There's a there's a It's like a pausing in time. It yeah. is a pausing and it's a slowing down. Yeah. That I, I feel like for me slowing down, stillness, silence, it's a wonderful groundwork for other things to sort of yes. surface, right? Yeah. Other things to sort of come in, things to happen. Um entities to come forces to be reckoned with blah 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 you're saying all the right words like entities forces (laughs) different times i'm like bitch where have you been um (laughs) yeah i love all of that and then another thing that is really interesting is like you mentioned that you moved into this to sort of like save your body and just the pain of it and one thing that's really important in these things is like 
fucking having proper posture when making this kind of stuff because with this repetitive work, so hard. it makes you like, yes, you disconnect your brain, but also like after a couple of hours of doing it, you're so conscious of your body because you will be in pain. You will be in pain. I know. Which if you is don't such, do it right. Yeah. Right. And it becomes a total contradiction because I was trying to save my body and right. then I'm like, you know, my wrist. Hello, are, arthritis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Listen, you know, I know about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What else? What else are we going to ruin well, our bodies with? Yeah, being gay and call it a day. <laughs> yeah, there's, 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 yeah, there's less interesting <laughs> ways to ruin your body. Yeah. So, what about colors? Gosh. I love your colors. Thank you. Are they cute? Yes. There's that lavender. Lavender is like I love that color. There's something about that like light lavender. You don't see it as much anymore. Well, you see it a little bit shark, but. That's yeah, like, you have it in that shark. Yeah, and you have yeah. it in that material too. I have too. it in my little like uh, metalworking <gasps> tools over there. Yeah. So what is that sort of um thing in the background? It's like a arch. Is that like a like a saint or something? Oh, uh, that was just that? like a little altar I made for myself. <gasps> but that altar, was like my paint color. Yeah. Oh. I was like so like the lavender and then the hot pink and then the oranges. You can see like yeah, the oranges here. Yeah. We I think we're we're living in in the same or a really relative um neighborhoods of color. For yeah. Sure. Where did that come that? come from for you specifically um, those colors because i mean I, I heard the story and maybe it might be in, yeah i think yeah. it is interesting yeah about your dad and like mixing yeah. colors i think that's a good background that's a background but really sort of those specific color he didn't work he didn't work those colors right um, i think for me those colors were when i associate kind of um growing up to me it's like those are swap meat colors um nice those are swap meat colors those are um 99 cent store colors um you know fabuloso colors fabuloso for sure you know there's there's a kind of um tackiness to that but it's also sort of being a a hollywood kid and being an la kid in the 80s um in the 70s you cannot have you cannot live in that sort of environment and not have that yeah um and at the same token, like being able to grow up and have tangerine houses yes. painted by sort of like, you know, yeah. brands next to a lavender house. Right. right? Yeah. And There's next a cultural to a mint his- house. Yeah. Um, color palettes are a very cultural thing yeah they're very cultural sure. and I feel like there's they're kind of around but I, I, I love them um, because they're there there's a there's a tackiness about yeah. them yeah and there's um there's a melodrama about them I love melodrama um, I know like so you, uh, I know, t- let's talk about novelas <laughs> in another time maybe. um you know, like our, our, you know, patron saint, like Walter Mercado. It's like that, oh God, that sort of peace. dripping and sort yeah. of those beautiful fabrics and colors yes. of like lavenders and pinks and baby blues. And, and it's all a quinceañera dress and colors. And quinceañera dress yeah. colors. And that's like the quinceañera envy sort of thing, you know? I'm on the record as saying as like how I have like envy about quinceañera. Like, yeah. I so do. Like there was one that I was in that was a very, very close family friend and she chose like... And you were a chambelan? I was a chambelan, which is oh, just terrible. <laughs> I hate I hated it. Um but what but she chose peach as her accent color Oof. and it was like oh it's so good. It was so good. And I remember like the, I think she wanted like the cake and the frosting and the cake to sort of oh like say become I mean it's just there's a tackiness. It's That's so, so tacky yeah. and it's so beautiful and silly and um and very serious at the same oh, time, yeah. right? Cuz you have to pick the right color. I I don't know. It's a color is a thing that I gave myself permission to enjoy yeah um i was very sort of like black and gray for a very long time very monochrome like you know i was like yeah susie brows and you know whatever um 
and I think I just let myself have permission. I think there was a lot of, of stigma as a kid, as a little boy, not to sort of want to gravitate yeah. towards those colors. Yeah. So I think giving myself permission and owning my... As like a closet thing? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, why are you like girls color? Why right. Why do you like girls color? Like, no, like don't, don't well, use Well, why do you like color, period? So why do you like color, right? Everything has to be like green and black. And yeah, it's like you get like blue and red and, and green, but like only if tan. like only if they're associated with sports. But yeah. like boys don't. Yeah, the boys don't care about color. Yeah, or like back in the day, like if they only made like if they made dickies in that color, then it was okay. Then it was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I I just there's a pleasure, um, and I feel like I'm getting away with something that I that I couldn't yeah. get away with, um, you know, early on. Um, and there's just a silliness and a loveliness. And there's a coding that I've created, yes. a system of coding that I've created for myself too. Because in a lot of the work, I'm really spending time creating and recreating memories of certain relationships and their oh, condensations of yeah. relationships. So I'm able to sort of put them together yeah. through color in a way that isn't necessarily, because um, it doesn't have to be known. It doesn't matter. It's, no. It, it's, it matters to me, but it doesn't need to matter to a viewer. But it's a way that I can sort of encode and be with that because a lot of the work, again, is monotonous. Right. And it's super repetitive. So, like, what keeps me in? What um, there are these little tricks that I play with myself to get into a headspace so that it uh, sort of generates a form. What rituals do you have in the studio? That's a good segue. Or what does your studio practice look like? It looks like well now again because I'm I'm working in a different way now. It's um I have a basement studio okay. in the building that I live in, but that's more of a staging and storage yeah. area. So a lot of like the studio visits, but I I work I work very similar to here. Like I there's a little sunroom in sort of near near the kitchen and that's kind of where I that's where I work that's where I make so the dog's there my husband's there watching tv or making food and it's in it's in my life yeah it's in my everyday very banal life and that's for me that's like kind of wonderful time um and because I'm in this tactile thing I can just check out of what's happening yeah um and it's a wonderful it's a wonderful way to kind of like be in proximity to my others my significant others but I'm very much like you're doing your own thing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sort of teleporting nice too. so that's kind of what it looks like I, I think that's an interesting concept too because um there's this lie that places like SAIC sometimes tell us or just the art world that like in order to be like a serious artist, your life has to be completely divorced. Your everyday living from the making. Yeah. And you see how like dangerous and toxic that is to people because they run themselves to the ground. Yeah. And then you don't have a life. You don't have a partner. You don't have a dog. You don't have like a stable home. Yeah. You know, because you just run yourself fucking ragged in the studio. And like the studio, while it is this really kind of like important like other space, like it's also mm. just something that like and I think maybe like being older like also has a lot to do with it. I don't think it's something I could have been able to do like when I was much younger. Mm. But that kind of like certainty like or maybe not certainty, maybe um confidence. Yeah. That you can make in this environment, like your daily life is such a big deal too. Yeah. And for me, it was important. I think, I, yeah, I think you hit on something really important because I, the studio as such, right, is an idea yeah. as, a, as a marker, of, as a, legitim, a legitimizing kind of marker. Right? Yeah. I, an artist does this, looks like this. The studio right. looks like, I don't know, all of those things. Which I again, is like built in with like yeah, it's built into money mm-hmm, and access absolutely. and like finances and, and real estate and ancestral wealth, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. It's caught up in all of those things. And so like, well... I don't have the um, 
don't have those things. Right. So then what do you do when you don't have those things? Okay, well, do I run myself ragged trying to emulate and make that happen for myself? Or do I use my resources wisely and just, you know, figure out what works for me? What works for, like, the rhythm of my own body? What works for... What are the things that I need in order to keep right, me engaged? Right. Um, and I need my dog, and I need my man around. What kind of dog I, do you have? Oh, he's a he's like a lab um, pit bull mix. What's his name? His name's Charlie. Oh, shout out to Charlie. We love shout dogs here. Oh, Charlie, you're so sweet. I'm gonna show you, <laughs> I'll show you a photo later. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll be I'll be that queen who shows you photos. I later. am that girl too. So don't. Oh, worry. good. Yeah, no, he's super sweet, and you know, and he's yeah, he's a sweetheart, and he's um. Again, it's a thing, right? It's um, touches involved when I'm yeah. when I'm involved with him, and it reminds me of like, okay, you've got to be. I have to have my foot in a certain position on his body so mm. that I feel his heartbeat and yeah. he feels my. You know what I mean? There's yeah. that sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. thing um, that feeds me too, and and I think that that kind of goes back to the centrality of the work that I'm making is about touch, it's about proximity, it's about holding, um, holding, storing, saving. Um. Yeah, marking time. Yeah, marking time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's that's kind of how the studio kind of functions for me. It's a very, it's a very non glamorous thing, and the lights better because it's south facing, so oh, I nice. get some sunlight. <laughs> nice. Now another thing I'm interested in, and this is just like also like kind of like offloading the thinking about this, but yeah. just like the lifespan of work. Especially very colorful work mm-hmm. when it comes to a plastic substrate, yes. because there is it has. I think of my work as having its own lifespan, mm-hmm. um, and just like you know any other living organism, you know, like it's going to be the brightest when it's new, and then it's going to like accumulate the traces of its life yeah. as an object, you yeah. know. And eventually, like because I work with like packing tape, it'll become brittle. Color's going to wear off. There's going to be like dog hair maybe like there's literally dog hair in some of my pieces but like there's things that like get like added to them there's a history of of the object Mm -hmm. that to me is really important and i don't think it's very obvious to most people when they're looking at work that pieces have a life span for some people but how do you feel about that what is a lifespan for your pieces how do you feel about fading i feel i'm really excited about that i'm actually it's hard to answer the question because I, I don't know. I mean, there's like um, the scientific kind of, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it's going to outlive me in some form, but you know, there, there, the certain, um, the sheeting that I use, it's got a good 25 years yeah. before any sort of marks or yellowing starts to really kind of happen. Mm. So I'm really, as a kind of artifact, as a kind yeah. of, um, archaeological sort of like artifact of a thing of a process of an encounter. I'm interested in what that might look like over time. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in that sort of big life cycle of it too, right? So, because it started off petroleum-based product. I mean, they start off yeah. as or, as, as life, dead things, as life. Yeah, yeah they, and that you know, so that's it's sort of. I know it eventually is going to sort of circle around. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm interested in that time scale, um, and I'm interested in how that color will fade, like memories sort of fade, like the sort of, you know, it'll pick up yeah. nearby it. Um, and to me, it becomes a sort of um, marker of time, but it's, it's sort of um, it's in proximity to a life, right? We yeah. are, we accumulate, we gather, things stick to us, things cling to us too. And to me, it's sort of that's part of sort of our life cycle. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm super curious about it. I can't wait. That's interesting to me because that understanding was something that really separated me, I felt, from a lot of the film department here at SAIC. Um, Even though I feel that for me came from specifically from filmmaking. Like, specifically, I can trace that back in my head to Fluxes. I can trace that back to Invisible Film by Namjoon Pike. Mm-hmm. And how that was just clear leader. Yeah. And basically, like, the history of the represent the showing of this film, it starts to get dust. It starts to get little things on it. There's an accumulation of it. So for me, that history of the work, that temporality, has so much to do with experimental filmmaking for me. And that, those histories, and even just, like, the fading of something. That's about, like, the generation loss from one tape to another dub. Yeah. So that is all mixed up in, in, in my head in, in, in that, in moving images. So that temporality... Yeah. It's such a big part of how I think about objects or about images. That's so interesting too, because behind you there's like the strips, you know, and it makes me yeah. think, it <laughs> makes me really think about sort of like okay, celluloid and yeah. the life of a, the life of celluloid, and and you know, at some point it's so degraded that you can't do anything with it. I mean, that's it's interesting that you bring that up, and I, it's like the performance of an image every time that you see it. Yeah, it truly, truly is, and I think all of that's like super interesting. Like we, when we want to like hold when the impulse, I think maybe in some art circles is to sort of like freeze, freeze an object, right? Sort of contain the object, yeah. preserve the object. You know, I, I, there are ways also that it gathers meaning, right? And it be, and is able to sort of enter into these um, right. streams of reference that you're kind of um, touching on when you sort of, think about the time scale of it in a different way yeah um that's really i yeah wow that's incredible <laughs> i'm super like i can't ca- i can't catch up with your thinking so I- i'm just gonna sit with it for a sec yeah no, that's fine yeah. i mean it's yeah it's, but I'm, I'm i'm interested in 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 because for example like no shade to painters no shade to sculptors but there's like <laughs> there's this permanence mm-hmm. in a way in a lot of those like plastic arts which is an interesting word because that you know because now your your practice wouldn't necessarily be included in that right. but this naming of like sculpture painting and uh what were the other plastic arts basically those two painting and sculpture, sculpture right painting. the plastic arts i think so yeah I it's like drawing printmaking Maybe? yeah but there's like a permanence yeah. to those mm-hmm. things you know there's this idea that like you should make work that time doesn't affect right for the ages right it's bronze it's you know it's <laughs> yeah. like a oil painting with a fixer right so you know and then we can like change that right but there's something also very interesting to me about the impermanence of that experience that comes also like is related to like theatricality and performance yeah. and i think even yeah yeah and i think there are cognates there too like the, again thinking about the the origins and things like performance is a a thing that's very finite it's here it's effervescent it's ephemeral it's here for a while it leaves it's kind of part of its ontology its presence you know all these sort of things right Right. um yeah and i think i think that's where i'm the most comfortable and it's and it's a thing that i really like and and i think with these sort of objects that i'm making there's a it extends it extends the life of that engagement if i think about like making as a kind of performance and this being an artifact or documentary of the thing of that encounter yeah it sort of it, it sort of um it draws that out a little bit in a kind of materialization of that, mm, of that yeah, encounter, yeah, yeah. you know, but, um, but even that is sort of, even that's not fixed. Even right. That's not finite. It will wear and tear and I could potentially unmake them and make something else out of them. Like I don't have a 
there isn't a fixation on the permanence of the thing because the thing isn't the objects themselves the baskets themselves they're really they're really not for me they're not the work yeah is the, a performance the work, the, work? Is, the the work is the creation the, of the work is the process right yeah it's it's so that, the work is a it's the duration yeah it's proof that something happened it's proof that something proof happened. of a performance of creation yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah one thing you haven't mentioned is audiences or sort of viewers and that's an interesting thing because coming from a performance background blah 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 and then moving into art making where again the idea of the audience isn't something that like is it's creeped into a lot of practices Mm -hmm. but again the plastic arts don't really care about audience as much Mm -hmm. you know it's very much about like performance related work and things that came in like the 70s and stuff like that uh how do you feel about that do you think about audiences do you think about how they're relating to your objects or moving around them or experiencing them I do. It's not. Um, it's not the prime. It's not the first thing. Like I think again, it was just sort of an exhaustion of the of the of the discipline yeah. of performance. It's like the audience is sort of at the forefront because there's also an implied use in your work. There is, and so I think that's where that's where the audience mm. sort of that's where that they come in. That's um, what they fill in. I think that's where they fill in definitely for sure because every time I've shown sort of these works people always reach out and to me that's a very very curious thing and 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 i i love that i love that there's an impulse to reach out for and so to me that's they fill in that moment in the work the reaching for um but that's kind of that's the extent of it i feel like uh, the audience will do what it wants to do yeah i feel like there's enough there that an audience will they all, when we, we all have relationships to plastics in one way or another yeah. we all have relationships to a kind of scale that of where two hands can hold a mm-hmm. thing we all have relationships to, to baskets, sort of that baskets and containers. And, and containers so there's all it's all kind of there it's all there the cues are all there for an audience member to sort of like come in and either fill that in reach out for it or not yeah um and i think that's that's enough for me right now um i'm not as audience obsessed as maybe as i was like 12 years ago that's good um, <laughs> that's a good thing yeah it's okay and i think it was a sort of like turning away <clears throat> from performance too yeah. at one point i was like i don't want an audience present yeah. period so <laughs> I get it. I mean, yeah. A yeah. um, couple of last things because yeah. uh, uh, this has been a really great conversation, but there's a couple of questions I like to ask everybody. The first one is, what was some advice that you wish you would have gotten when you were much younger or advice that you would think like somebody that's much younger now could really use? Trust yourself. Trust yourself. That's a good one. Trust your gut. Yeah. Trust your gut. And just... Don't yeah. pay bitches no mind. No. But they're... If they're paying your rent, that's one thing. But yeah, take what's useful. I would say like, and like take the time to sift through all of the input that you're getting and just take what's useful and keep going. That's good advice. It's it's your journey. Yeah. 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 Another question. How do you feel about the internet? Oh, I think it's really useful. I... Yeah, I think my life really changed. And I think, was it 98 or 99 when I got my first computer and was on the internet? I think it's, yeah, I think Do it's Do you use small. it in your practice at all? I use it as a tool, as a yeah. research tool. Um, yeah, but it, aside from that, as a kind of resource uh, for information, I don't use it that much. That's good. Yeah. Where can people find you? 
They could find me at josesantiagoperez.com and they can find me on Instagram at josesantiago.p. Nice. What are you, um, and then last question, <laughs> what are you working on now and what has you kind of like excited about your practice? Right There's a, kind of a lot of stuff that's going on right now. So I'm currently working on um, a show for Roman Susan. Nice. And that'll open in late January. And I saw that you just got added to, you just got, uh, you're part of uh, Hatch. Hatch. So I'm a hatcher. Um, which I'm excited about yeah. too. Um, I, I kind of, yeah, I, I'm really, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to kind of working with, um, a bunch of really talented folks. So yeah, shout out to Artist Coalition, Chicago Artist Coalition. Wow. The work they do is incredible. Um, yeah, so there's that going on. And then I'm doing a two person show at Evanston Art Center with, um, Noel Garcia, who does gorgeous nice. beading work. So we're doing like the beading and basketry thing together there. Um, I think that's it so far. So there's some things. Yeah, that's there's great. Some things happening. Yeah. Good. Well, Jose, thank you so much for coming. That was such a great conversation. Thanks, Ivan. Bye, everyone. And there we are. Thank you, Jose. Thank you for listening, everyone. This podcast was recorded, produced, and edited by me, Ivan Lozano, in Chicago, Illinois. You can follow me on Instagram, Ivan Lozano Studio, one word. You can check out my website, IvanLozano.net. I want to thank the Propeller Fund for their support for this podcast. I want to thank Natalie Murillo, a.k.a. La Spacer, for our theme music. You can find her on Instagram, SoundCloud, MixCloud, Facebook as La Spacer, L-A Spacer, or at laspacer.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening through this uh, first portion of the first season. And we will be back in 2020 with more episodes. And have a great holiday season. Bye, everyone.